The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you living a wellness lifestyle? What could it do for you? Join us today on the Wellness Lounge a step further and see how our guests and direction can inspire you to self-empowerment through a wellness lifestyle. Now, here is the host of the Wellness Lounge a step further, Desiree Watson. Good morning. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Uh, we're always very excited about uh, having our guests uh, engage you with uh, a step further. We are, of course, Wellness Interactive, and... We are a step, we take it a step further. Let me put it that way. I, I believe we take it a step further. We're at the Wellness Lounge in New Jersey, 14 South Orange Avenue. And what uh, we normally like to focus on are uh, things that uh, connect our whole mind, body, spirit. And uh, if this is your first show and you're just tuning in, you're in for uh, a really, really uh, Great uh, guest this morning, Denise Grayfelder, who's with Communication for Social Change. Um, a step further, uh, it is a brand, and it's a wellness interactive brand, but we try to focus on uh, connecting that whole mind, body, spirit. And uh, me personally, I believe that uh, if you're not well, then you don't have anything. And I think that's a simple statement, but being well, I believe, is a whole mind-body state of mind in a spiritual state, well-grounded in faith and spirituality, the God of your you know, choosing, uh, grounded uh, with the whole body presence. Uh, and sometimes we think or feel that it's all focused on, okay, are we healthy? Well, healthy can mean treating disease with pharmaceutical drugs. And not against that, but what the real presence can be and maybe should be in our lives is to really stay connected to those who are driven with uh, passion to connect all three. And uh, you'll find that uh, our guests are doing work that is just beyond belief. They're taking it a step further. And this is why, you know, I asked them to come on and engage uh, with us uh, to help us all connect it. Um, they may live right next door to you. <laughs> you never know. And uh, they're doing work every day to make a difference globally and nationally. Um, I normally like to uh, take a passage from a book or uh, maybe uh, something that someone has uh, said, a quote uh, that uh, could empower us. But this morning, I'm actually going to read a paragraph from Communication uh, for Social Change, uh, Denise's uh, amazing organization and platform. I can't wait to have you all engage with her and 
um, listen to all the information she has. So this is probably one of the, the first uh, uh, strategies I've seen that represents a, a nonprofit that is empowering. And uh, I'm sure there are many, but this one, it truly speaks to what they do best. And uh, it's uh, our strategy. It says the consortium was created for a simple reason. Business as usual among communicators working in development is no longer good enough. Worldwide, people of all backgrounds have grasped the importance of hearing their own stories and their own voices and making their own decisions about what affects their lives. They are bolstered by rapidly changing communication technology that has helped bring about wider acceptance of many, many, many to many communications. Challenged by widespread globalization of information sources, deregulation, and privatization of media outlets, marginalized communities worldwide ask, when will we be able to control, own, and manage the communication process, processes and tools uh, critical to our community's social development? And I think this affects us all, but Denise, uh, of course, will be here to, uh, well, she's already here to uh, even uh, take us uh, a step further in uh, what the value is for all of us. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, if you're challenged in, in uh, published areas or uh, you're pretty much uh, educated and doing well. We all need that communication process. So let me give you a little background on uh, Ms. Felder here. Uh, Denise Gray Felder uh, definitely understands the challenges of poverty, uh, which poverty presents, you know, and those working in the developing world and offers uh, uh, work and insight uh, into how major donors and agencies work to relieve poverty. Before setting up and leading the Communication for Social Change, Consortium. She was vice president for the Rockefeller Foundation until 2003, with responsibility for communicating the foundation's vision internationally and crafting its public policy and advocacy agendas in the USA. That's major. That's absolutely major. Uh, I can't wait to hear uh, about all that. But Welcome, Ms. Denise Grayfelder. I am so thrilled to have you here today to uh, take us a step further in communication and knowledge of, uh, you know, how we need to work. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Denise. Hello. Thank Good you. morning. Hello. Thank you. How are you this morning? Very well. How are you? Oh, absolutely wonderful and thrilled again because you're here with us. I just want to start off, Denise, um, just by asking, uh, because th this is a huge platform and, and you do it so well, and uh, I just happen to know that <laughs> because I just happen to know you very well, you know, but you do this so well. You're, you're traveling back and forth to Africa. You're just, it's, it's amazing, and you're showing up here uh, for meetings that, uh, you know, well, not here at the Wellness Songs, but you're showing up uh, in America and, and, and uh, you know, you're doing a 24-hour cycle. And so I want to uh, know, and I'm sure the listeners would, would love to know, 
how are you driven or what drives you from day to day? But how did this all happen for you, especially uh, starting with the Rockefeller Foundation? That's huge, too, uh, the VP of communication. Can you, uh, you know, can, can you explain to our listeners uh, how, you know, you got to work and engage in a nonprofit uh, platform, but very strongly? Okay, thank you. Um, it, I think that it's, it's important to say first that, that what grounds me is a, you know, an extremely strong belief in that I was not put on this world to only worry about myself, but rather put on this world to worry about what contribution I can make to others, particularly those less fortunate. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was a, that is a, a value set that is just so was so present in my my family and my family upbringing, and also in my adult life. So that really is sort of the underlying spiritual foundation of which um, mm-hmm. I, I continue to get my strength. I think. Uh, how I got into the the nonprofit world was really not by design, but again, sort of a belief that everything in life is cyclical. And the experiences I had prior to going to the Rockefeller Foundation really helped prepare me for the opportunity when it was presented to me. Mm-hmm. I had spent um, my early career as a journalist, trained as a journalist, and then subsequently went to work in promotion, television promotion, did some audiovisual writing worked in various writing and editing for various um, print publications, and then went to do public relations for uh, for a large multinational corporation for many, many years and did mm-hmm. all kinds of communication work mm-hmm. uh, from advertising and marketing and public mm-hmm. relations and speech writing and media relations. Mm-hmm. And then I was actually recruited to go to the Rockefeller Foundation by its then president, wow. who Excellent. really wanted to bring together the public sector, the nonprofit sector, and the private sectors together, which at that point in time, traditionally, foundations had really um, hired more from a an academic background or people who had worked in the nonprofit mm. sector, and he really wanted to get some of that profit-making sector experience into at least the Rockefeller Foundation, and it was... Um, you know, it was a bit of a gamble, I would think, for him, and he was mm-hmm. you know, actively seeking someone who had, I think, um, those the kinds of background that I had. Mm-hmm. So the Rockefeller Foundation is a, um, you know, as you said, it's an amazing platform because you're able to do lots of good work around the world with, um, you know, based on the largesse of of a single family and a single donor. Right. So that um, yeah. was a, an experience that was really worthwhile, but it actually truly opened my eyes to what poverty really means. I never, as a a person growing up in the United States, first in Detroit and then subsequently living several other places and now settling with my family in New Jersey, I never have been poor. And Mm -hmm. I know people that are poor or Mm -hmm. families that live in poverty, I should say, but Mm -hmm. I've never known what it means to not have food to eat. My children have never known what it means to not have food in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. But when you start to work in in villages and countries and compounds around the world, whether it be Africa or the Pacific Islands or um, Latin America or Asia, mm-hmm. you find real, real firsthand experience of what that means. And it was clear to me that sometimes the models that we were bringing into these families, into these homes, into these communities was really what I like to call an expert model, 
Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that somebody <laughs> like you and I mm-hmm. have all these great ideas, and we go in and we try mm-hmm. to impose them yeah. on people. And it's... You know, and we do the same thing as if we're on the, you know, on the right. the, the West Ward of Newark. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, when and people rightly so should push back. When people come mm-hmm. into their mm-hmm. homes and their families and their communities with these things, yeah. And, and, and just for a moment, can I just uh, oh, uh, stay stay there for a moment? The expert model, uh, going back to what uh, uh, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation or the reasoning uh, behind uh, engaging uh, the private in the public sector, uh, is it maybe perhaps or was it? That uh, this uh, this model, this basically traditional model, at times that we all use and we do push and engage that uh, in other communities, is it true that maybe uh, sometimes uh, the model itself it's not working or it does not work, obviously for different communities because that's what you do. But I'm just uh, concerned uh, or have have been concerned for many years that. Why is it that we only need one model? We take a blueprint and we say, okay, this is going to work everywhere. And it doesn't, or does it? <laughs> you're the professional there. I'll, no, I'll... you're absolutely right. It, it, uh, there is almost no situation that I've seen that there's, al- there's a single model that works on any problem. Yes. And, you know, the, the organizations that are most progressive know that and with great certainty, so we should be clear about that. We're not, I'm not casting. Just well, no, no, and I'm, I'm not saying that. I think yeah. the listeners need to know that. Oh, okay. uh, because gotcha. you have the information, and they need to know and understand that. That's why you know we're having a conversation. So, if you can elaborate more on that, that would be helpful too. Because okay. yeah, we we know that that just does not <laughs> exist. So uh, I just want to make sure that um, because the way that you you all have done it with the Rockefeller Foundation, I think it's just awesome and amazing. And there are so many organizations that are really, uh, here we are in 2013, and they're actually using this, but you all were so progressive back then. That's my point. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that um, the the point is, is that at the time that this, we were having these initial conversations, and I should say one of the, uh, one of the other real blessings of a, of a foundation, at least a large U.S.-based foundation, is you have the ability to debate issues and to come up with new strategies with amazingly smart people. Yes. So your ideas <laughs> are really reinforced uh, and yes. made better yes. by people that are smarter than, than certainly than I am. So one of the things that was apparent at that time when it came just to communication and how communication around development issues and how moving people out of poverty how communication processes were handled was a, you know, this is the way we do it in Europe or this is the way we do it in the U.S., and the underlying assumption was that it should work in other mm-hmm. regions, and that right. assumption is proven not to be the case. And at the heart of it oftentimes is the inability to listen to mm-hmm. the people who are affected by the change. Wow. So because, you know, those people are we assuming have no resident knowledge. We assume that there is no equity of knowledge in mm-hmm. those communities. And, in fact, that has absolutely been proven wrong in the, in the, in the, subsequent, in the past right. 20 years. So listening is really a real heart of this. And so when you go into work into a community, um, you really need to understand what the knowledge base is there already and then give the people the space 
to talk among themselves, to talk with you, and to really hear what they're saying, mm-hmm. and to react, and to help them find ways to produce the kinds of products, the kinds of processes, the kinds of initiatives that are critical to getting the change that they want as they right. define it. Awesome. Um, and that's the piece that is very hard for organizations um, to do because you have your own set of measures, you have your own direction, you have your own rules and regulations, and to just let go and let people tell you what they think they need and what they want is very, very difficult. <laughs> it, it sounds so logical, but it's right. very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would think, especially because uh, you're, or, or, or we're, we're coming to them, and they, they've lived in these communities all their lives, so that's one, I, I would think, but I don't know. Why is it so difficult for us to um, be receptive to the fact that uh, they can tell us or they can engage with us to, to let us know what their needs are? What do you well, think? Well, I think I think one big reason is 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 one of control of, of resources. Mm. So, if you are a government, for example, going into Zambia to work on um, water and sanitation, and you've done successful projects in you know 13 other countries in the world, mm. you already have proof in your head that this is what works. Wow. So, and, and you also have your own set of taxpayers that are dictating your own congresses and your own set of legislators who are dictating what you should do. So mm-hmm. to have to, to, to be able to really have the strength of the conviction that the local people should drive this is difficult because that sometimes will conflict with your own regulations, your own Congress, what your own taxpayers want. Hmm. So that's a big, Very big piece of it. And, and you see that you know, often. Um, wow. Work around the world. Very interesting. So, um, the public policies that uh, you uh, worked—I uh, think it, it's, it's it, did you only work on public policy only uh, with the uh, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, but are you also doing it with this organization oh, with yes, the Communication yes. for Social Change? Yes, a lot of what we do now in the last 11 years with the Communication for Social Change Consortium has to be about um, advocacy around policy change, um, advocacy around laws and legislation that's needed, policy reform, and um, things like elections and and Mm. governance structures. Because sometimes people have the best intentions and the best will in the world, and they have, you know, brilliant minds working, Mm -hmm. but the, the environment in which they're working in their country mm. has to be shifted if they're going to be able to play out their their ideas and able to bring their their needs to to fruition. Wow, awesome, uh, incredible information. So when we return, uh, Denise, uh, I'd love to speak uh, about um, uh, actually your blueprint for communication for social change and uh, maybe perhaps. Uh, uh, speaking about uh, uh, a country that uh, you're engaged with right now, or community abroad, and uh, definitely our communities here in the United States. I think that's very important, too. So we will return in a moment. Uh, thank you for listening again. We're speaking with Denise Grayfelder, President of Communication for Social Change. Please stay with us. We have so much information for you. Thank you. 
is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things. And together, you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks again for joining in uh, with uh, the Wellness Lounge a step further. We're speaking this morning with uh, Denise Gray Felder, the president of Communication for Social Change. And Denise has uh, engaged us uh, with um, uh, amazing knowledge on uh, the whole, uh, I believe, uh, communication process of uh, uh, really looking at um, taking uh, countries or communities a step further. Um, I want to just... uh, have you, Denise, uh, thanks again for joining us. Have you, take us to uh, a community uh, abroad maybe, and then also uh, the, let's focus on a community here in the United States. If you can engage our listeners with uh, the blueprint of the Communication for Social Change going in, uh, and what do you do first? Or can you, I, I know that um, you're in Ghana, you're in, you're, all over, but uh, can you uh, help us to understand, uh, especially for people who may want to donate or volunteer, uh, how do you navigate uh, the presence in another country? Now, we understand the policy, I believe, but uh, uh, the physical presence, what do you do from here? Okay. Well, the first, uh, an important first step is, is actually dialogue, and you know, this, this work, Communication for Social Change, is, is very dialogue-based, and by then, I mean is that you go in and you you find out what groups are really important um, to the issue, who's really influencing with this issue. And I'll, so I'll take an example of um, polio, for example, in northern Nigeria, where children were being vaccinated throughout the country, but there was a, a dramatic um, drop-off of children being vaccinated in northern Nigeria. 
So you want to understand why, which groups and which people are influencing that, and you bring them together and you have them engage in dialogue for the, the reasons why they're not vaccinating their children or the reasons mm. why they're boycotting immunization. From that dialogue, you really want to, to well, and sometimes you have to actually, believe it or not, you have to help people learn how to talk to each other in a group setting. Wow. Because that's not necessarily intuitive. Now, in exactly. Africa, you're really blessed because there's a 2,000-year tradition of dialogue circles in some mm-hmm. some communities, so sometimes you don't need that to do that in Africa. So after they have these series of dialogues, you, know, you might want to have women together, you might want to have young people together, you might want to have old people together, whatever the, the demographics are that makes sense. You really want to help them move from dialogue to, to evidence, and the evidence is, um, you know, what kinds of proof do we have that the issue is working or not working in the community. So in this case, in polio's case, um, how do we have that? What, what real evidence do we have that children are not being vaccinated? So that's an easier one because you can look at data. You can see how many kids have actually taken the vaccine. And then from the evidence, you want to move toward action. And that's really the hardest part of the communication for social change process because people as a community or as communities have to come together and decide what is our action plan? Mm-hmm. What are we actually going to do? Mm-hmm. And we at the consortium really try to force the issue and make them write it down because mm-hmm. it's not good enough to just say it and, and make assignments and, and determine how you're going to measure success. So mm-hmm. once they write it down and they have, they agree on this this action plan, they'd have to take it back to the bigger community and explain and communicate to the bigger community that this is what we've talked about, this is what evidence we found. So the bigger community, uh, Denise, uh, that being... It could be the entire village. So if you were were meeting just with the young women, for example. Right. So perhaps in the United States, the bigger community could be uh, churches or faith-based or or things like Mm -hmm. that. But if you're in Africa, it could mean the village. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Thank you. And it could also be within an organization. Ah, okay. Um, so you know, okay. your community can be your organization as well. Excellent. Okay. So they have these action steps, and then they begin to implement it, and you make sure that you, um, someone has the assignment of documenting the process, someone mm-hmm. has the assignment of tracking and, and, and evaluating progress, so mm-hmm. that you can always continually be accountable to the people that gave you the responsibilities and the rights of making these decisions. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's also the hard piece, too. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh boy, that was, <laughs> wow. Oh, I, I feel like I need to say, can you say that again? <laughs> no, but no, oh, I understand. That is that That can be difficult sometimes. Wow, well, hmm. So then I guess my next question would be, uh, obviously, you all, uh, the the organization has been in existence for 12 years, so, or I think it's 12 years, right? 12 years or so? Yeah. And so uh, how effective is it? Are are some areas uh, doing greater than others? And how is the accountability, you know, when it comes to being held accountable to the organization that's really helping you to um, implement and, you know, well, go on. The, 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 I mean, I'll, I'd like to answer that in, in two ways. The, sure, the, the absolutely. The Communication for Social Change Consortium in, as an organization, we believe has been tremendously successful as an advocate for this way of working. 
Mm-hmm. When we started doing this work, um, actually it started as a um, uh, incubated at the Rockefeller Foundation. When we started this work almost you know, 15, 16 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, there was a lot of pushback from organizations about dialogue-based processes because it's so much easier to go in and tell people, you know, um, use this brochure, use this right. release. Use the radio the, spot, and all will be well in the world. Exactly, and that's what I was speaking about earlier about uh, so many of us, you know, thinking that uh, one blueprint fits for everything, or fifty uh, percent, or sixty percent, and it just doesn't necessarily work that way. It doesn't necessarily work, and I think at a critical point is that that is one-way communication. Yes, you, <laughs> you're basically pushing two people. This is what you need to know, and there's no uh, there's no proof that they actually are one even retaining it, much less understanding it mm. or accepting it. Wow. So the dialogue piece is what forces you to really have to listen and understand what people are really retaining, accepting, and understanding. Mm-hmm. So, so how has it been, been with technology, uh, Denise? Uh, well, the... technology is 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 with some. Subject matters is much easier, and, I, and I'll tell you oh. a moment about one of the things that we're currently working on that is more challenging. But um, we have done over the years a lot of work in AIDS communication, and we're really, really pleased as a field, not just us as an organization, mm-hmm. of the way AIDS communication has moved from a focus on if you only communicate to the people that are engaged in, ris- in risky behaviors mm-hmm. about what they should be doing differently then we'll, you know, we'll decrease the incidence of HIV infection. And that proved to be wrong. Yes, it's just wrong absolutely. Because people make decisions about this risky behavior in the context of the cultures that they live in. Absolutely. We all learn how to Excellent. be what we are in all mm-hmm. phases of our lives, public mm-hmm. and private, based mm-hmm. on the community in which we live. So if you don't begin to communicate at a community level, or a societal level, which is bigger than a community level, mm-hmm. around how these behaviors are harmful to all of us, mm-hmm. we, we learned you know, 15 years ago that we would never be effective with AIDS communication. And the AIDS people get that, and they are, have made tremendous strides in many, many countries because of it. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is an example of um, success of this kind of way of working as well. And how does that work here? Uh, Because you all do work here in the United States as well. I think, um, I mean, it's still very early. There's two things, I think, and I want to connect your technology question because I didn't forget about it. Also, in the United States, technology is much easier. Communication technology is much easier in the United States because people are familiar with it, they have access to it, and it's reasonably inexpensive. Um, So, you know, take an example of some work we did with the Urban League of Essex County, which is, um, you know, Newark base. And they really um, want to engage residents in a particular neighborhood of Newark around coming up with their own community plan for how they're going to improve their community. And they actually have come up with their own community plan that the Urban League um, really helped push the community to to get to that point. And Hmm. we were asked to come in and actually help the residents and the people on the planning committees and the people among the funders to uh, engage in this dialogue process where they could have their idea, have their concerns heard, first of all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, come up with ideas for how to address those concerns. 
and thirdly, include those ideas into the broader community plan that was presented to a number of funders and is actually now being funded, the Urban League is being funded to um, to implement some of those ideas. Wow. Excellent. So that, that is really exciting. It's too early mm-hmm. to really declare success because it's only been a few years, mm-hmm. um, and this is a long-term process. But I think that we should all be encouraged by it. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, actually, it's yeah, very exciting. Now, do you see working uh, with uh, the faith-based community uh, in the future at all, or are you working with? Uh, we have with- in the in the past, uh, you know, sporadically. When we were first when we first started, we worked with an organization called MICTAN. It's uh, M I C T A N, and based in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a it's a local church that is um, a stronghold in uh, service delivery for people living with HIV and AIDS. Oh, wow. They, they really were, you know, long before many churches got on board around their their parishioners who may have AIDS or HIV, they oh. really, you know, jumped out there as a large black church. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, really providing age service delivery. And we did some training for them, again, in this process of how you really use dialogue to engage your constituents and really help them come up with action plans. So I I haven't um, kept up with them, but I hope that some of that initial work has stuck with them. Um, That's really the only... But that's I, I think that's huge. I, I think it's amazing. So my my question uh, to you then, I'm this sorry, but we uh, do church deal with faith based organizations. You have to throughout uh-huh. Africa and and Latin yeah, Africa. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's go back uh, for a moment with uh, uh, Mictan. Is it M I C T M I C T A N A N. When you're working, or you've you've worked with this church in particular. When you're working with them and you're helping to support um, the communication process, uh, what is the the most challenging, or was there anything that was challenging working with a faith based uh, community in the United States? Just mm-hmm. this church, okay. I know you only have the the one. Well, no, you know, actually, I should correct that too because the Fairmont Initiative with the, in Newark with the Urban League has a number of faith partners. I, many of the churches that are in that neighborhood have faith partners, like. Um, no, I'm sure they problem. do, so, but I yeah, guess I'm uh, I'm speaking yeah. about communication for social change yeah. because it's it's you know it, it's a global uh, organization and I think it's important for everyone to know that it definitely works here and it, you know it works in Africa, it works in abroad. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess um, and and you know we have uh, so many churches that are doing great work. Uh, with uh, a number of amazing initiatives. So um, I, I understand the Urban League, and we both, you know, love the Urban League. And I love even what Vivian Frazier is doing here locally with the Urban League. But um, I guess I'm, I'm really uh, wanting to focus on, uh, for a moment, faith-based, because um, I think I had this conversation uh I don't know if it was with my pastor or, you know, I just believe that it's just so important for uh, uh, churches uh, or congregations or, you know, just the faith-based community to uh, take advantage of uh, being able to uh, uh, 
uplift communities. And I'm not saying they don't. It's just that we have so many churches. We have churches on every corner. So it almost feels as that for me, it feels like no one should be in need. And I know that's the simple and maybe a little naive, but I think that's what churches uh, should represent. I think that uh, we should uh, really focus and work on uh, the issues at hand that affect our community. So this church that you just spoke about, uh, Mictan, I, I would just love to know uh, if there were any uh, strong challenges, because uh, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, can be political with faith-based, too. Well, that no, okay, thanks. I better understand where you're going with that. I, yes, I, I agree with your premise. Um, the biggest challenge that I see, and I'm going to go a bit out on a limb here, is that it's sometimes difficult for churches to suspend judgment. And by that I mean is that because they are churches and they are faith-based organizations, and I'm not picking just on churches, it could be modern. No, no, we're not picking on anybody. We don't do that here. (laughs) We just take it a step further, and I think, I always say this, people who know me say, I say, straight talk makes for straight understanding. So, but I do, I do understand your position, especially when you said I'm going to go out on the limb. I don't think you're going out on the limb at all, but I understand your position. I mean, I've spoken to a pastor and he says, not my pastor, but a pastor as well. Uh, I, I said, could you come on my show? He says, well, I don't think I could really say things like that in public. I'm going, well, what do we need churches for? Yeah, <laughs> what do we yeah. need pastors for? But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's difficult sometimes for them to um, not be able to tell people this is the way they should behave. And if you are truly going to be committed to a process of listening to all positions and all beliefs and all attitudes that are resident Mm -hmm. Um, in that community, whether that community be a group of 10 people or a group Mm -hmm. of 5,000 people, Mm -hmm. you have to suspend your judgments a bit. Yeah. Because people don't talk to you, and they're not going to be truthful with you or with each other. Right. If they feel that you're going to be judging them. Exactly. So that, I find, was a big difficulty, is a big difficulty. Meetan, which is the Metropolitan Interdenominational Church in Nashville, Tennessee, they are able they were able to be successful on the AIDS communication front because their pastor and their leadership recognize there are members in their community who have HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know that there's many, many churches still in this country where pastors will not um, admit that or have not accepted that. So that's what yeah. I meant when I said by going out a little bit on this issue. Yeah, um, and then no, I and I appreciate you for saying that, but that's true. Um, uh, they haven't accepted it, but uh, or some don't accept it. But I think uh, what happens again, it goes back to that whole mind, body, spirit. When you're a person that's ill and you're not well, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the way I view it, it doesn't matter if, uh, unfortunately, you you might have uh, MS or cancer or doesn't matter, you're ill, you're not well. And if you're in a faith-based community and no one recognizes that at all, this is the part I really don't get. You know, I, if I'm in your community, I'm going to church every day and no one's addressing the fact that you can help the community do better at serving people who are ill, then I don't know where <laughs> that leads us. I, I just don't. And I just think um, if you don't have wellness, if you're not 
well, what else do you have? You, you don't even have a, a church community. If you don't have people that are well and you're not helping them to be well and to serve them, I'm always missed on that. But that, again, is, is a whole nother, you know, platform and conversation. But I thank you so much for um, sharing that aspect of it, and especially Tan. So hats off to Tan for st- taking it a step further and uh, not going out on a limb because it's not. I think it's they're doing what they, they should be doing. But I do hear the music, and we will be back with uh, Denise Quayfelder, who is sharing uh, – so much uh, great information about uh, the communication for social change. And when we return, I'd love to hear about uh, maybe what uh, you're doing on a personal level, uh, maybe with family or or friends. Okay. Uh, Stay with us. We're breaking for commercial. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, again, uh, we're here speaking with Denise Gray Felder. She's the president of Communication for Social Change, and she is engaging us uh, globally uh, on uh, uh, her amazing platform on uh, educating us all uh, how to really uh, support our communities uh, in a big way because they're already doing it. Uh, Denise, I'd love to have you a couple of things. One, I, I definitely want to ask you more on a personal level uh, what uh, uh, you do personally uh, to support this, maybe along with your friends and family, uh, uh, how we're supporting the platform or they're supporting the platform. But um, I also, uh, I guess, um, uh, would like uh, people to know where to find you and that, uh, or where to find your organization and that you're always, uh, uh, I believe, taking donations and I'm not sure if you need volunteers at any time. Could you just speak about that for a moment? 
Sure, thank you. Yes, we. the easiest way to find us is via our website, which is www.cfsc.org. So that's communicationforsocialchange.org. C is in Charlie, F is in Frank, S is in Sam, C is in Charlie.org. That's the best way to get information about what we're up to. We're also on Facebook, which is CFSC. Um, it's, our, our Facebook is essentially CFSC Consortium. I'm sorry. Forgive me for hesitating. No problem. CFSC, C-O-N-S-O-R-T-I-U-M. And soon we will be on Twitter. Um, okay. So those are the best ways to find okay. us. Okay. And yes, Fantastic. we are always in desperate need of funding. <laughs> okay. Would welcome any support, whether it be organizationally, by governments, or by individuals. Individual support is can easily be done online through our donate button on our website. Mm. And we most of our funding right now comes from contracts with funding agencies that are mostly government-based, so the Germans or the French or the Canadians or the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. But it would be great to be able to expand that to a a bigger pool of non-government agencies. And we also do contracts with with other large nonprofit organizations. So that's typically our funding base. As Desiree said at the beginning, we're based in South Orange, New Jersey, and all of that information is on our website. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, we actually have listeners in Germany and Denmark and London, Canada, so please, uh, you two you can support uh, at any time. Uh, and thank you for listening out there globally to uh, wellness, uh, the Wellness Lounge a step further. So, Denise, I um, would love to know uh, your support system or who who – I shouldn't say who, but because they may not want you to say who, but how, <laughs> how, how is your support system for uh, all these great things that you're doing uh, with uh, maybe family or friends or just uh, what do you do to uh, survive all of this? And again, I, I spoke about how you, you literally will, um, you know, you're, you're on a plane in Africa, you know, or going to Africa, coming back from Africa, and you may show up at, um, you know, uh, Denise and I, by the way, I believe in full disclosure, um, we uh, used to belong to a, a fantastic organization for our kids, and so it was so, <laughs> so funny because you could be on a plane or, or someplace else and you were engaging with getting things done for your family and getting the work done abroad. So um, can you tell us how you do that? Well, I'm you know I'm really encouraged by your your brand, um, Des, and I wish I had had it when my kids were young. I must say, <laughs> because uh, the the you know you said being healthy, mind your mind, your body, and your spirit. Spirit. It yes. is a, a total yes. connection. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I, I think fine on the mind and spirit. It's the body part that I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> no, with no, right we now. won't go there. <laughs> and you all need to listen to Dr. Pride Boone. We spoke about that. Uh, she's. We, I interviewed her. We had a conversation with her on two shows because it's not that. Listen, there are people that are doing really well when we say too focused on that whole physical. We need to be a size two. Uh, uh-uh, that's not healthy either. So yeah, well, I'm not only I, I can't give you a pass on that one. Okay, <laughs> you look fabulous. 
thank you. But I think the support system, you know, are really, you know, I'm blessed on so many levels that when my children were young, you know, I had reliable babysitters and a husband that is very willing and had no problems going and picking them up and taking them places. And I think if you don't have that kind of support system, you really, it would be impossible to do the job that I do. Now that I'm older, and you know, I'm again, I keep going back to my parents, but my mother showed me in so many ways that your children are what you put, you know, you get out from your children what you put into them. And oh, I'm I believe so that. I really do. I'm blessed to have, you know, two kids who share this passion. So yeah. they go with me. They went with me since they were little. They, oh. Since they were small kids, they support this. They raise money for us. Yes. They volunteer in the school that we built in Ghana. Um, oh. You know, they have at their heart the same level of passion, and so does mm-hmm. you know my husband. My husband, it was was critical to raising the money for the school that we built in Ghana. Right, so and I listen, think, he never skips a beat every year. If you're doing yeah. something, he still asks us. He, he asks <laughs> my husband. <laughs> I love husbands who heart, do right? that because my husband is very supportive too. And so yeah. you do need to have that. Thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> well, now, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't have to be a husband, but you need need that strong support. But if you you're married and your husband's not really right. involved in supporting. Okay. That's something it's very difficult. we need yeah. to, it's very difficult, we need and, to work on. And your church family, I mean, my church family here in South Orange, First Baptist Church, um, they, you know, they've been supporters of the, the CFSC, the Communication for Social Change Consortium, since almost its inception. They've wow. They've been supporters of the school that we built in Ghana. Um, and then I think just an incredible network of, um, extended family and friends. Friends are, mm-hmm. are equally important and sometimes I think more important than family because they love you because they want to, not because they have to. Um, right. But, um, <laughs> you know, that that network, I, I know none of us can do this alone and none of us should try to do it alone. No. That's my feeling. No. And we're not. And, and, I mean, I think people who really get it, they're not doing it alone, you know. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, to your point, uh, sometimes uh, uh, we can hit a brick wall, but I think that brick wall, it's there because we're doing it alone. And it's just, you can't do it. I, I think, uh, Denise, you're, you're so on target like that. You, you can't do it alone. And, and you know what, uh, bottom line is, what Ever, this is my thinking, my personal thinking, what, whatever you feel or think uh, you should do to offer uh, yourself a much stronger support to navigate your passion, uh, even your dream, to, the love of uh, giving back, or just the, the love of uh, being able to, um, you know, stand alone, but with others helping to uh, hold you up, you know, uh, I, I think that's the key. And I and say I others to hold you up because you're, you're someplace holding someone else up. Well, exactly. And, and those people that you are working with are actually sometimes the greatest source of strength for me personally. Absolutely. That, you know, when I'm looking at that baby or holding that mother's hand or, you know, watching somebody build that well or um, – you know, helping a farmer, looking at a farmer fertilize her field, um, or even just sitting in a meeting at the African Union and listening to them go through problems and come up with solutions, that gives you tremendous energy. It mm-hmm. really boosts you up. The work itself, you know, when you see results or you see that people are really making a difference, um, 
is is a real source of strength. So you feel, and and I I love this because uh, to me again that's that whole mind mind body spirit uh, connection. So when you're doing your work, you feel uplifted. You feel good. Exactly. Well, you feel uplifted. Sometimes you feel very tired as well. But also, I mean, what is well, it without a doubt. It's saying to you that this is worthwhile. And, you know, yeah. I wouldn't get that feeling if I were, you know, screwing on a widget, I, I'm afraid. That's not, you know, what I was asked to do in life. I'm right. convinced of that. And exactly. I, you know, and I was raised to do the very best job I can. And so I'm going to do as much as I can to give to the people that I was put on this earth to help make their lives better. And, you know, listen, I think uh, on a personal level, we all have the capability to do that. And, you know, I had a conversation with my pastor. He was on a couple of weeks ago. And I think, you know, he he said something, which is probably very easy for him because, <laughs> you know, he just said, well, all I know, Desiree, is that you can't be selfish. <laughs> and so I said, wow, I love that. He said, uh, because when you're doing this work, to your point, you're put on this earth to, uh, I believe, to, we're all put on this earth to take it a step further. So whatever you decide to do with your life, you really want to have that passion uh, to give back. And and I think most of uh, the show for me, most of the conversations that I'm engaging with, I'm hoping that I'm speaking uh, to the listeners or the people who want to empower themselves with just uh, step one of giving back. And I know that we all have that passion. I, I think it's it's just innate. We we have it's a spirituality uh, 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 component uh, of all of this, and it's to give back. But the question is, how many of us are doing that? There, there. It's tough. A lot of people aren't doing that, and it's somehow suppressed. But I'm sorry. Go ahead, Denise. Yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Um, no, no. I think I, I'm agreeing with you 100. percent Also, I think there's an element of confidence in oneself that you actually can push your ideas. You know. Mm-hmm. If, you confidence that you can start Wellness Interactive or confidence that I can start the Communication for Social Change Consortium exactly. is not something that comes naturally, easily to people. Um, and so if you have the kind of support systems that say, yes, you are worth pushing your idea and your idea is worth pushing, right. in itself mm-hmm. is a tremendous step forward or a step further. Yeah, for, I, for yeah, people. and that's that's a good point. But I do believe that uh, so many of us, or the majority of us, we all have ideas, great ideas, but sometimes we're sort of pigeonholed into what we think we should be doing with the thinking process or, or the ideas or, or whatever. We never act upon them. We just don't do it. So I, I definitely agree with you in that, yeah, we need to kind of work that more, work on uh, pushing it forward. But you, you really do not want to uh, have all of this, and we do, we have all of this internally, and just it just stays. <laughs> Nobody's benefiting. You're not benefiting, and, uh, of course, the community uh, at large is not benefiting because they don't get to... Uh, embrace uh, what you may be able to share with them. We just uh, somehow we don't push. And I think that might uh, 
and now I'm going to use your word, I'll go out on a limb here, <laughs> that, that, that might happen uh, more for women because our lives are uh, so filled with so many things that we need to do or have to do. You know, we're, we're running our homes and, you know, we're, we're not focused on all the great things that we can do uh, for ourselves in our community. And I, I don't know, I, that, that's my belief, but I am so happy that uh, you uh, shared all this knowledge with us today, uh, Denise. Uh, and please, uh, everyone, if you can, uh, definitely go to Communication for Social Change. Uh, I think they're doing just amazing work, and you can't have a better leader than uh, Denise uh, <laughs> uh, Grayfelder, who uh, is uh, helping so many communities uh, navigate um, uh, taking control of their communities, too, with uh, communication technology. Uh, Denise, uh, can you tell us again where to find you? Yes, thanks. The Well, let me start this time with the phone number in case people find it easier to call us. <laughs> Our telephone number is in the United States, so country code 1-973-763-1115. And feel free to leave a message if you would like, and we will also answer the phone live and call you back. Our website is www.cfsc.org, www.cfsc.org, or you can find us on Facebook as CFSC Consortium. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thanks uh, again uh, to the listeners. And uh, again, Canada, Japan, uh, Denmark, Germany. And of course, thank you here, right here in the United States and here locally, uh, the Wellness Lounge uh, at 14 South Orange, New Jersey. And I look forward to speaking with you all next week. We're going to have Doris. Young Boyer, and she uh, is an author, and we're going to speak about um, etiquette. I think that's a strong presence for, uh, again, connecting the whole mind, body, spirit. So thank you, and I look forward to uh, having you tune in next Monday. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the Wellness Lounge. Just step further. Please tune in next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another great show featuring your host, Desiree Watson. We'll continue to show you how to incorporate a wellness lifestyle and live a better life.